Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Do that. Awesome. Yeah, so in our time together here, we are going to go through uh, talking about, as a private practice owner, how do you market direct to the consumer, especially staying competitive in today's challenging economy. And today we're joined by a special guest, Tyson Wigfall. Tyson is the head of marketing here at Breakthrough, has a ton of experience marketing uh, within uh, healthcare, specifically with service providers and predominantly uh, with online marketing. So welcome to the webinar here, Tyson. Thanks, Chad. Great to be here. So we're going to start with uh, what most of us are going through right now. And over the course of the last 30 days, we've had the opportunity to talk with nearly 100 practice owners, um, many of those in my area where I've just had you know one-off conversations about how they're navigating what's going on. But essentially, most of us are sharing the same story, which is I'm, I'm starved for time, right? I don't have enough time. Um, I feel like I'm overworked. I'm treating a lot right now. There's a little bit of a decline with... Uh, you know, hiring clinicians. So I'm forced back into the clinic and I'm having to juggle not only treatment, but also all personnel decisions. I'm trying to recruit right now, other clinicians, other team members, hire them, go through the hiring process, trying to figure out where we're at financially. Um, I'm having to market. Uh, I'm having to do all these different things and there's just not enough time in a day, in the day. If that feels like you, just type yes in the chat log right now. You're time starved. You're juggling too many things and you feel like you're stretched thin. Julissa says yes. Fred and Michelle, San Filippo from Rochester, New York. Great. Jeff says yes. Um, so the current climate, even though that we're time starved and we don't have enough time, then blanket in on top of that, oh yeah, we might be entering a recession if we're not already in a recession, which is just simply two consecutive quarters of declining uh, GDP here in the US, but we have gas prices at historic highs. Um, there's a lot going on. We have declining reimbursements. Just got off of a call about that. Declining physician referrals, challenge to hire, um, et cetera. So in the end, what we're looking for are challenges to create a consistent marketing system to maintain steady patient flow, regardless of what's going on in the marketplace. But how do we have time? How do we make the time in order to make that happen. And that's what we're going to be talking about here today. So what happens for most of us is we're busy uh, treating patients in the clinic um, it, when things are going well. Then because we're busy uh, treating in the clinic, our new patient numbers decline, our census declines, then we need to go out and generate more new patients. So we do some sort of marketing effort. Um, maybe it's some social posting. Maybe we start paying attention to our email marketing list. We run some advertisements. We go and talk with some physicians, whatever we're doing. We drive more new patients in. Now we're busy treating again. So our marketing goes down and then our census goes down and we repeat this cycle. Um, and truth be told for the first three years in my private practice life, this is exactly what I did. We would hit uh, roughly 110, 120 visits in a week and I would be overburdened and I would shut down the marketing and then our census would go down and I would run out and do uh, marketing again. 
So what we're going to talk about here in our time together, um, we're going to talk about what normally gets in the way of consistent marketing. So the barriers and how you can overcome them. I'm going to show you exactly what uh, successful marketing looks like. Um, by the way, I went through uh, Tyson's portion of the presentation here this morning. Looks amazing. This is going to be well worth your time. You're going to have a lot of amazing insights in the marketplace in, in terms of how you can take your marketing to the next level. So if you're beginning as a private practice owner, he's going to show you, you know, one or two simple steps where to start. If you're an advanced private practice owner, you're going to take, um, take away some really good insights that'll help you take your marketing to the next level. We're going to talk about the cost and benefits, how to weigh the cost and benefits of doing marketing yourself, a DIY approach versus hiring marketers to do it for you. Um, and then we're going to talk about the essential systems that you need and resources that you need in place to develop a private practice marketing system. Then we'll open this up for Q&A. This webinar, this online training is brought to you by Breakthrough. Who are we? Essentially, we are a purpose-driven company that is looking to flip the pyramid that's put conservative care in its rightful place. Um, we work with hundreds of practice owners all over the US, Canada, um, Australia, et cetera. And what, our aim, what the best way for us to do with regards to flipping the pyramid, which is creating a more affordable healthcare system here in the country where conservative care is thought of first, the best way for us to do that to help more people is by working directly with practice owners just like you. So here's what normally gets in the way of consistent marketing. Number one, which we talked about already, not enough time. Um, and especially to create you know, marketing campaigns, whether it's email, uh, landing pages, whatever it is uh, that we might be doing with our campaign, but we just simply don't have enough time. The second big thing that gets in the way is we're not sure what's working and what's not working. You know, in business, there's a general principle that we want to do more of what works and less of what doesn't. It's hard to do that when we don't necessarily know what's happening with our marketing. And the third thing is that systems are overly complex. You and I went to school, likely um, an undergrad and a graduate program to earn a degree and ultimately get a license, likely as some sort of clinician, physical therapist, chiropractor, podiatrist, dentist, et cetera. For us to turn around and magically have the understanding of, I, I know Tyson in, in his career has invested over 20,000 hours or 10,000, sorry, 10,000 hours, 2,000 hours a year, uh, five years plus of just understanding how Google works, right? That's one small element of what he's about to share with you, but he has 10,000 hours in um, and it's second nature to him. It's unconscious competence. He completely understands it in the same way that you and I understand how to treat patients. So it's really tough for us to you know, step out of the clinic where we're treating 40, 50, 60 hours a week, step over into the marketing realm and be able to master that, be efficient and effective as, uh, as a pro. And that creates a lot of frustration. So what does successful marketing look like? And yeah, at this time, yeah, Tyson, uh, you're going to step in and take over. Yeah, yeah. thanks, Chad. Yeah, excited to be on the webinar. And, and successful marketing can mean a lot of things. I've, I've got it boiled down to three. And two of them are going to do a big deep, a deep dive in today, sort of how to set that up. Um, if you want to do it yourself, and then we can get into some options if you don't want to do it yourself. But first and foremost, and we won't dive a lot into this today, but it's centered around your ideal patient. So any good marketing is centered around your customer, the end user, for you, your patient. Um, 
and what you really want to be treating more of um, who that person is getting to know them and you should know them better than anyone else or if you work with any company they should know them better than anyone else I'm not going to dive a lot into a lot into this but this is foundational towards everything else we talk about number two it's it's built around a repeatable foundation and so what we commonly see uh, practices doing is they start with the basics, especially with digital marketing, which is good. You start with a website, um, you might do some newsletters, you're starting to get some referrals in, and that's, that's the tip of the iceberg. Um, it's a foundational layer, it's important to do. But then when it gets to building new campaigns, this is often where practice owners get stuck. And so once it gets into campaigns and automation, we hear tools come up like, and I've got a few logos here, MailChimp, MailChimp or Constant Contact. Keep is another one. Some, some practice owners try this or they'll dabble in it. Typically not a lot of consistency. We'll dive into like how you can be consistent with tools like this. Um, and then third is really a system to measure and have visibility into what's working. Um, this is really like, if we, we look at it as an iceberg at the bottom, like that foundational layer is this measurement layer. Most practice owners um, that we've talked to do not have this measurement layer. Um, there's all sorts of tools that kind of exist out there. Um, the challenge is there's, there's a lot of fragment, uh, fragmentation there and it's difficult to see, but at, at a foundational level, you wanna understand what's working uh, before you start laying on other things. Otherwise uh, you could waste spend and time. And then third, it's full funnel. And so we'll dive into this a bit more, but it's looking at that ideal patient, where are they at in their journey? Um, if you're here and you're a physical therapist or a chiropractor, which most of you are, there's a lot of general unawareness to the profession. And so a lot of it is like meeting people that are their problem, they have an issue, but how do you meet them when they're problem and educate them on what you do? Um, and then there's those that know you and marketing to those different buckets. We do it a bit differently and we'll dive into that a bit further. So the foundation really coming down to that foundational layer. It's really three core things. Uh, one, you want to be able to measure success. Really, ideally, before you start going and say, hey, I want to do some emails, or maybe I want to dabble in Google ads, or we want to try these different things, you want to make sure you have measurement down. Um, otherwise, you'll, you'll constantly reinvent the wheel. You might have some kind of momentary success, uh, but it's very hard to sustain it without that layer. Um, the second is really, how do you view and manage? If you're going to start going direct to the consumer um, and you're going to begin to generate um, new leads um, or you have this existing past patient list or wherever you are, how, how do you see them all in one place? Um, you really want to make sure you have a system there that not only measure, but allows you to have visibility um, across every single touch point. Um, and then third, you want to create some automations. Uh, I mean, you're, you're busy. You want to be working more on the practice than in it. What you want to be able to do is scale and you can scale with automation. There, there's so many different ways and we can go through some automation here in a second, uh, but these are the three big things and, and we can dive into measure. So with measure, you've got your practice vitals and then you've got your marketing essentials. Um, and, and so some of the things we can dive into, I'm sure Chad can jump in on and some of how he looks at some of the practice vitals here, um, but new patients and, and you really want to have this this segmented. So where are your new patients coming from? Is it reactivation campaigns uh, with past patients? Is it word of mouth referrals or clinician referrals? Um, is it um, businesses that are similar to yours um, that you're working with? Or is it general sort of cold traffic or advertising that you're doing? Ultimately, you wanna understand where that mix is coming from so that you can do more of what's working um, and, and shy away from what's not. Um, total visits, your gross revenue, 
um, really your attendance rate, graduation rates, you, you want to be really mindful of. When it comes to marketing essentials, you'll, you'll, you'll get all sorts of articles on, hey, you should measure this and that. Lots of marketing essentials and sort of vanity metrics. I'll kind of go through what I uh, believe are the core and what we find to be the core. Uh, one, it's new patients, plans of care. Um, you want to understand how different marketing channels are driving towards that. Um, ultimately, so you can really understand an ROI and a return. So those are foundational and want to be able to have that set up. After that, and diving into some other specific metrics around email, like often we'll say, oh, high open rates. And I can dive into that further in subsequent slides. But it's really about a metric called click rate, which is ultimately a lot of people may open your email. How many people are actually clicking through to the desired action that you have? Uh, which, you know, open rates, you can have high open rates, people read it, don't take action. And so you want to really look at who's taking action. And then um, if you're able to, to have some benchmarking, like, you know, how are you comparing with other practices? Are you above, above or below bar? Um, where do you have room to grow? Like a tool, certain tools can provide that for you. Yeah. And just to, um, yeah, give some light there, Tyson, on the, the key practice vitals couple different levels of competency we see from owners. Number one, at the most basic level is zero awareness around where, where we're at, right? So maybe we're keeping track of new patients, total new patients, but we're, we have no idea what attribution looks like at all. So that, you know, the very next step is, well, actually let's start keeping accountability uh, and keeping track of what's going on there in terms of new patient attribution, where are they coming from? So that, as you said, we can do more of what works, shy away from, uh, or eliminate what, what's not working well. Um, the next level up would be, I'm looking at metrics, but they're all the same and I don't know what to do with it, right? So this is uh, really looking at like a snapshot or some sort of cross, you know, last month in this office, we had 135 new patients. Was that good or not, right? Well, if in May we had and 97 new patients, or we had 102, that would kind of influence how you would judge the 135, right? So we want to be able to look at it relative to what's been done there previously in the, in the month or the weeks before the time period we're looking at today. And the final one, the highest level of competency is we not only know where we're at, so there's accountability and we know the numbers, but we also know what to do with it. Um, we know how to manage by, by way of metrics. Thank you, Chad. The second level, uh, when we talk through the managing portion, is having a system where everything that you do from marketing comes into. So in order to be able to measure, you want to make sure if you are doing marketing to your past patients, like where do those, rec where do those records live? Um, you want a HIPAA compliant solution there, but they should live in one centralized database. So let's say you're going to dabble in Google ads or Facebook ads, or you're, you're going to try to put together some other campaigns. You want to make sure there's a centralized place for you or your staff to be able to see all the activity and some things to look for in a system like this is understanding contacts by stage. If you're, if you're going to start marketing directly to this consumer and, and a lead comes in, um, have they come in for an initial visit or initial eval? Are they, have they booked a plan of care yet? Where are they at? Um, Cause you, per the portion of the full funnel, you wanna be able to market to them differently at each stage. Um, and as you measure, like what's the history? Like how, how many calls have you made to them? Have they, called, have they called the practice? Have you text them? 
Um, having that ability to see that in one place will save a lot of time um, and allow for a lot of scale. Then it comes into email. Um, and so and we saw those systems like a MailChimp or Constant Contact. Email is, especially to the past patient list or any new leads coming through is vital. And so what you can set up in automation there. There's really three big things um, in terms of email. You're doing it yourself that you should really be mindful of. One, do you want to reach the inbox? Two is you really want to have balance um, in the segmentation strategy. And three, you want to personalize. And so as far as reaching the inbox goes, whatever provider that you work with, um, you want to make sure that they're reputable. Um, there's a thing called sender score, but ultimately you want to make sure that um, there's a high sender score and so that emails get delivered. Um, otherwise, they show up in the spam and no one reads them. And so some things that you can do, um, one is consistency. And so if you're beginning emailing um, or if you've dabbled in it, I, I recommend sending, getting to a place where you're sending about one email a week. Um, you, you can do more than that. Um, but what, what happens if you just say, hey, I'm going to send an email this month, or maybe I'll wait three weeks and another email, you have this inconsistency. Um, and that can hurt you in a couple of ways. Uh, one is you haven't established consistency with, with, your, with your list. So they don't really have any expectations, which are going to really hurt your performance. And then two, like a Gmail or an Outlook, when they see an email coming from you, it lacks consistency. Um, and so they don't trust you as much and they're less likely to put you in that inbox. Um, also reaching the inbox is think about offering value first. It's, um, it's good to balance your offers, but when you lead with value, more often you, than you lead with offers, you build rapport. And so um, you build rapport with those that are reading it, your list, they're more likely to open. This all helps you reach in the inbox. Um, and then just a little rule of thumb, 80-20. Um, don't send emails that have a ton of images. Keep it uh, more copy heavy. Um, it helps reach helps you inbox more, um, and actually the personalized approach will help actually with your actual reply rates and your click rates. When I say balance and segmentation, so ideally you just, you have a couple core segments. What at the very least you have patients, non-patients, like you separate your leads from your actual past patient list. Um, to get more detailed segmentation, what you might do is based on. Um, what someone's coming in or what you've been treating them for, you can start to segment based on that. Now, the value in that, if someone's coming in for a rotator cuff issue, now you're sending them emails or drips specifically around a pain that they have, um, which they're going to be more likely to respond to as opposed to just general, general messages. Um, the balance goodwill and offers means sometimes we'll see practices that just have offers to come in, um, some sort of offer to come into the practice so often that uh, that it ends up having diminishing return. So um, rule of thumb, I would say three or four to one, provide value for every one offer email that you have. And then in terms of personalization, um, less templated, more personalized. And, and one thing that we've seen work very well um, for customers is emails that look like they're not automated. And so if, if you're using Gmail as a client or Outlook and and you were to go and email me today, or I would email it to you today, it would look like just a text email with my email signature. Um, it's good to make some of your emails look like that, even if they're automated. It gives a personalized feel. Um, they typically have better uh, reply rates, click rates, open rates. Um, I think a lot of times we can get dazzled by, we see large e-commerce brands. You might get a lot of these promotional emails if you subscribe. I, I subscribe to 
um, DSW shoes and REI. I like the outdoors. I get their emails. They look great. They have a lot of images. Works for e-commerce. Doesn't work for past patient marketing. So really keep them, keep them text heavy. Here's an example. And this recording will be available afterwards. So you can come and look at this example. Um, but this is a framework that, that we use a lot. Chad uses a lot when we're when writing emails. Here's what I have for you. Here's what it will do for you. And here's how to get it. And so when writing emails, this is a good framework to follow. Um, you can see in this email it has personalization. The subject line would, would automatically merge in and first name. Um, so would the email, it looks like it's personal. Um, it has a clear sort of next step. And so this is a template that we'll often follow. Uh, again, you can get this recording afterwards. Feel free to copy this template. I have another example on the next slide. Thanks, Chad. Um, so this is an example of, of something that we've, we do um, often is a single question, um, the single question email template. Feel free to copy this as well. This is a great email that you can do um, to a past patient list that really starts. The goal of this is to start a conversation. Um, these come through very much like I mentioned before. They're personalized. They look like an email that is not automated and therefore they, they really solicit a response. And so this particular email was sent a 9% reply rate. J just to go off of industry norms on reply rates, they're, they're sub a half a percent. Click rate, which means someone's just clicking, not replying. Like a rule of thumb is to get above 1% there. So 9% on the reply rate is just, is, is very, very good. Feel free to take this and, and use it, um, whatever system that you're using. This particular email had over 1,900 replies. Um, we, we see people get 60, 70 hundreds of replies, depending on the size of your list, uh, but you can apply a similar rule depending on your past patient list size. So texting. Um, within that system and kind of coming back and framing this again, within the system that you would have, you have this ability, you want to make sure you're measuring. Um, after that, you want to make sure you can keep all the data and everything in one place. And then as you start to build campaigns, the lowest hanging fruit is your past patient list. So emails and texting. And here's some best practices with texting. One, automate. So if you're marketing directly to the consumer and, and you have some form of landing page, automate a text that goes out afterwards as a touch point. Um, if you have a patient that's coming in for an appointment tomorrow, automate text messaging so that they're aware of the appointment or improve your, um, your show rates. Integrate text with other campaigns. And so um, looking at providers that have, um, if you're building yourself, they have the ability to send an email on day one and maybe day three or four, you send a text message. So you mix it up. Um, the, the open rates on text are, it's, you typically like an 80% read rate on text. And so it's a medium that people are using um, and they use it often. Um, and then make sure whoever you use to stay compliant, make sure things are HIPAA compliant, uh, make sure in text messages and the people opt in, um, the ability to reply stop, to opt out. These are just really important things to keep, keep your practice compliant. Now, once you have this foundational layers that we've talked about of being able to measure, being able to automate, um, these are the processes that can save you a lot of time. That's when you should start thinking about layering on other channels. And so often what happens is uh, practice will start to layer or try to lay on these channels without having those core things built. Um, you waste a lot, you'll waste, end up wasting time, you'll end up wasting money. Um, if you generate 
demand in the market, you, you generate leads and new patients coming, you have no way of following up, no way of converting, no way of emailing. It's going to, it's not going to perform as well. What ends up happening is often then there's blaming a channel. Oh, Google doesn't work. Oh, Facebook doesn't work. Or, you know, I did this campaign with, uh, with a local gym and that doesn't work, but it's, well, what's, what's the aftermath? What's, ha- what's happening after you gain interest? If that's falling apart, it's going to look like it's these channels, but it's that core system that I mentioned on the prior slide. So, so we'll talk a little about online advertising. We'll get into Google and Facebook and give some recommendations there. Um, doing some things with local businesses. And then we'll talk briefly about some things you could do, right? one strategy you could do today on organic. So Google ads, I know there's a lot of copy on here. There'll be, there'll be time for Q&A at the end, but just running through Google ads. If, if you're deciding to set up Google ads yourself, if you already have Google ads, or if you're evaluating like, hey, I need someone to, to do Google for me. Um, there's a couple big things that can really two main ones uh, with Google ads. We could, we could do a whole webinar two or three on Google ads. One is the right structure. Google ads is all about structure. And the way the structure works in Google ads is you have your account. Within your account, you'll have a campaign. Within campaigns, you have essentially keywords. Um, they're grouped by what's called an ad group. Um, and so you have account, campaign, you have ad groups and you have keywords. Ultimately, what that means is if you're in Google ad search, and someone's searching physical therapist near me, chiropractor near me, someone's searching for your practice and you wanna show up, you wanna make sure that you're you're allocating some amount of money to that particular keyword. And when you're doing that, you wanna very much bucket keywords um, by in related themes. So think of if someone searches a keyword, what ad do you want to show to them? You want it to be very relevant to that keyword that they search. So when you're thinking about the structure, Keep, keep your keywords grouped by, hey, this is the right ad to show for that keyword. And so um, that all comes down, and this is a lot, but comes down to this thing called the quality score. And, and when you get into Google Ads, you're essentially paying per click. And what, how you pay is based on um, your bid. So what you're, what you're saying, hey, I want to bid $3 a click. Um, so it's a combination of your bid and your quality score. So let's say advertiser number one, has a quality score of 10 and their max bid is $2. And then you have a quality score of one and your max bid is $3. You won't necessarily outrank them and you'll end up paying more because your quality score is low. And so that's why keeping those keyword groupings really tight is very important, it's very foundational to Google Ads. And so whether you're doing it today, I would, a next step, uh, I would say go into your account, look for what your quality scores are and rule of thumb is you want to be, you really want your keywords to definitely be above five. Um, if they're below five, it's hurting you. Above five, it's not. Above seven, it's, it's essentially helping you. And so you want to strive for seven, eight, nine, and tens. Um, tens can be hard to get, uh, but you definitely don't want to start getting lower than, than five. Um, and five to seven is that kind of that place you don't really want to be either. Number two is landing pages. There's multiple strategies in Google ads. Um, driving calls is one of the best things that you can do. Um, if you do have a landing page, you wanna make sure that the landing page matches the, the ad that's being searched. So someone's um, journey is not interrupted by anything like, oh, what is this? So if you're, you're advertising, you wanna make sure that the, all the copy matches and the story matches. Use direct response. So one thing that we often see uh, with Google ads, the customer, or a client will come in initially and they'll, or they'll be leveraging Google ads and not having success. Uh, and when we look at the account, what we recommend is, 
you need a landing page. So a lot of times they'll send people to the homepage of their website. Might have a beautiful website, but typically your website's not designed for someone to take an immediate next step. And when you're spending money in ads, you want to make sure your landing page is really designed to create immediate next step. Another thing is to build trust, add reviews, um, add some testimonials there. You want to build that trust. Um, if someone's searching for physical therapists near me, um, they're very well um, looking at a couple different options in the area at that time. Uh, you want them to, to choose you. Um, and so building trust on that landing page is important. All right, meta ads, now meta. Uh, but Facebook, Facebook and Instagram. So if you hear someone say Facebook ads, Instagram is managed through the same exact platform. And so you can choose to advertise on Instagram or not. Um, and so some of the differences are the ad formats are different. We won't get into that. Um, but this is what we really call typically your marketing on Facebook and Instagram to cold the cold market. And so we go back to Google ads. Typically when you're marketing on Google, you're marketing for someone that's searching for a keyword, you know their intent based on the keyword. Someone searches physical therapist near me, they're likely looking for a PT in their area. Someone searches for your practice, you know they're looking for you. When you get into marketing on Facebook and Instagram, you're marketing based on people in your area and you can overlay different targeting. Like I only wanna advertise the people that are between 25 and 45, let's say. You can layer in that type of advertising, but what you're essentially doing is you're interrupting them. I mean, sometimes we refer to it as interruption marketing, because they're not actively searching for you. You're interrupting them in their normally scroll um, and you're trying to get their attention. And the opportunity here is vast uh, on Facebook because most people are generally unaware of conservative care. Like they, they typically are going to the doctor first and that doctor is referring them. And, and so they're, they're not immediately thinking, I have this, this lower back issue. Um, they're, going, they're going to their primary care physician. Like, what should I do? What you want them to do is think of your practice. And, and one of the best ways to do this is through education. So you wanna meet them where they are, their problem, and you wanna educate them on that problem. So when you're doing this type of marketing, uh, what we, you wanna lead with education. What we see in uh, some of the don'ts is, is ads here that say like, hey, we have, you know, we have 100 five-star reviews, look how awesome we are. Not that that doesn't have its place, but if someone's generally unaware of the benefits of PT, you or chiropractic care and you telling them that they you're the best they're like great but i'm not actively searching for you instead meet them where they're at with some form of pain and how you can help solve that and then nurture them through that process so leading with education is absolutely essential uh, when marketing on on facebook and instagram leveraging direct response very similar to what i mentioned with google ads but you want to make sure someone responds to this ad that you can capture their information um, so that you can start to to market to them afterwards, call them, et cetera. A big thing that uh, we're really large fans of is, is workshops. Um, and we, we've got some other material we can send on you on workshops. Um, and then leverage video. And so if you're wondering, hey, what type of ad should I use? Uh, video is for your, for your, instead of just a static image, is really good for a number of reasons. One, Facebook. Facebook likes, likes people to stay on their platform because uh, they make more money when people stay on their platform. What video does if someone's watching a 30 second clip, like they're staying on the platform for longer. So they typically will, um, they'll give a little bit more weight to ads that have video. So that's one thing to know. Um, and then additionally, um, because of that, you'll typically have a lower cost, like a lower um, cost to serve the ad, therefore like a lower cost per, per lead that you may get. And so um, leverage video. So those are really three keys for Facebook is lead with education, direct response and video. 
And as you're going into these platforms, these are just some things to remember. If you're doing this yourself, there's some things that you don't want to do because um, uh, you'll get, you could potentially get banned or get shut off. Um, and so you want to really go and look at the guidelines. Um, you want to stay away from certain questions um, and very specific things uh, that are listed here. I, you don't want to use you or your um, certain markets. You can do that. But when you're marketing in the medical space, you and your becomes too personalized. Um, and so you want to make sure you're not doing those things as rule of thumbs in order to get ads approved. Other thing that you can do is partner with local businesses. Uh, and so again, have that system in place first to manage the leads and measure, but partner with local gyms. Like this is a low lift thing you can do, especially in a, in a, um, a challenging market like it is now is local CrossFit gym. Um, they already have, if they, if someone like that already has your ideal patient profile and that's where they're at, partner up, do a workshop with them, um, educate their member base on what you do. Um, and then that's a great way of driving them into the practice. And then if you are dabbling with just organic social, I threw these in here, uh, Chad smile, Chad's, Chad's got some great videos on, on YouTube. Um, so I pulled these from Chad, but this is something that we do teach on. Um, Provide, provide value. And the way that you can do that is short videos, top three exercises, um, post them to YouTube. You can post them to Facebook. Um, you can share them through your emails, um, through those trips that I mentioned. You can really take one video and repurpose it in a half dozen ways and get a lot of juice out of it, um, both organically and through pushing them through email. Um, again, you'll have this afterwards, but this is a template that you can follow when recording those videos. It doesn't happen to be professionally done. Um, if you have an iPhone, iPhone 10, you get a, you get your Samsung Galaxy, takes 4K video, just set up to have someone hold it, just run through some exercises and, and post that on a variety of channels. Yeah. So giving away all my secrets there, Tyson, for the YouTube videos, that's great. Um, so, you know, the question that we normally ask as practice owners is how do we weigh doing all this ourselves or hiring somebody to help us do it. And there's a couple ways to think about this, but you know, the, the first area that I go to, and this is exactly what I did when we started doing marketing um, back in the early 2000s was, you know, wh what is my time worth? How efficient, how effective can I be? And where is there an expert like Tyson who can help me um, get this solved? So do you want me to talk through this or do you want to go through it? Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Chad. Um, we can go through it together, but if you want to take the lead on it and I can jump in. Yeah. So, you know, you, you want to think through, uh, evaluate how much time, you know, your marketing requires. So, you know, if you're spending uh, 30 minutes a day managing ads, right? Daily advertising management, that's two and a half hours a week. Right. Do you and I have two and a half hours a week to do nothing but manage ads? I would say the majority of us, 90% plus, don't have that two and a half hours to do that. You know, creating branding and direct mail, thinking through uh, messaging, copywriting, the creative for email landing pages. I can tell you, I've written many of the campaigns that not only we use, but um, other companies through Breakthrough are using as well, other practices are using. And copy takes a long time. Uh, to get right. And we, we know literally I was working through this this morning uh, specifically on this and five hours per week is, uh, 
is very conservative. It's easy to lose 20 hours a week and nailing the right copy. Setting it up, you know, monitoring and responding to the email campaigns, that takes time. I remember Tyson uh, in, in the presentation said like 70, 80, 100 responses. We sent out that email that Tyson shared with you. And I walked in on, a, we sent it out Saturday morning. I walked in Monday morning and our receptionist here at the office said, you need to shut that off. I didn't understand what they were talking about, but we had over 200 responses over the weekend to that single email. And that takes a lot of time to respond to, to 200 people. So even if it's 10 or 20 or whatever the number is, it, it takes a while to respond um, to those and put the human element in there. Building landing pages, that takes time. Measuring the performance. Um, and that's probably the one thing that I still do on here the most is looking at how our marketing's performing and then thinking through big picture campaign and content strategy. You know, that's 17 and a half hours a week. I can tell you with a full-time person, it is very easy to allot 40 hours a week and they still don't have enough time to get everything, um, everything done here. So the, the next exercise, um, exercise you want to think through is what, what is your time worth? And, you know, doing it, the, everything yourself, not really scalable. So, you know, if I would have made the decision back in 2010, as we were opening other offices, if I would try, you know, right now we're do, we have 96 employees, six offices, there's no way that I could possibly be handling all the marketing for everybody all those activities for all six offices. So it's not scalable. You know, our time is highly valuable and it's usually more valuable spent in other areas of our business. So, you know, what, what's the cost there? $4,000 a year, because we are going to need a MailChimp or, you know, the other um, software for sending emails, for uh, doing the lead management, for measuring that Tyson shared. So let's call it, you know, three to $400 a month. $4,000 a year. And more importantly, it's our time, right? Which is worth uh, significantly more than what we can uh, buy it for in most cases. So, you know, training the front desk, office manager in terms of what to do, how to handle everything. Same thing there, $4,000 a year for the management of that. And then also their time, right? That where they're now spending time in marketing versus answering calls or following up on no-shows to evals or doing insurance authorizations, et cetera. Hiring a marketer in-house, typically you're gonna look at 50 to $60,000 a year there. Um, I tried to do that in the beginning and the downfall was that they might know one thing really, really well, but then everything else would fall off. They didn't know how to write copy or they didn't know how to do lead management or they didn't know how to have a conversation with the person. You know, Maybe they were really good at graphic design, but they checked that box, but the other eight boxes, they just had, you know, very low competency on. Um, so the other thing that you can do is, you know, you can hire external marketing support. What does that normally run? 10 to 40,000 a year. Is it worthwhile? Yes. When you know how to manage it using the tools that Tyson just walked through and the understanding, you can get a better judge on, you know, what's worth your while and what's not. So, um, we're going to walk through the essential systems and resources that are needed for private practice marketing. You know, essentially, if we take a look at everything that we need to master long-term in the world of online marketing direct to the consumer, for marketing without a single system, a single point of truth, 
that can manage and handle everything, we need a lot. We need essentially email uh, software, uh, texting software, CRM, uh, that stands for, I believe, customer resource management. Um, that's going to be like your, am I close? Relationship management. Relationship management. Eh. Very close. Okay, relationship. Um, but yeah, so we need lots of softwares there. And then we have to be able to figure out how to duct tape them together um, to get it right. Again, we used to share the exact number, um, but I had spent over, it was $108,000 in training trying to do this myself. Um, and I'll be honest, I, I completely failed at it. Um, and then, you know, marketing with a single system, which is what we've developed at Breakthrough, you know, it's email and texting all in one place, landing pages all in one place, train the training in terms of how to use that all in one place, the reporting. I get to go every single day to a single dashboard and I can see how all six of our clinics are doing. I can check in, you know, how are the phone calls going to the leads that are coming in? I can see our marketing calendar. I can, I get to see all of that um, as a single source of truth without logging out and logging into four or five different other pieces of software. Um, online advertising, everything managed in one place. And what does that get us? Well, we have consistent growth and predictable results. We are able to confidently move forward and open new offices, marketing direct to the consumer and fill those offices up um, as quickly as possible. So at this time, we'll open this up for uh, Q&A. If you have any questions, I don't see any in right now, but you can type those in the Q&A tab. What questions do you have for Tyson? And again, uh, if you joined late, uh, Tyson is an online advertising expert. He understands uh, a ton about marketing and uh, lead management automation. Uh, pretty much any new tool that I've learned about in the last 18 months or so has been a recommendation from Tyson because just like you, I'm a clinician trying to keep up with all this. And uh, I just, I, he tells me what podcast to listen to, what to look at, and I follow all of it. So Shannon asks, what do you offer and fees? So uh, I'm going to give you a broad stroke here, Shannon, Shannon, because there's a lot that goes into it. Um, number one is we have essentially a set of tools. Right? There's a program for that, um, and it, it goes by number of locations. Right, But what we do first is we hop on a call, we make sure we understand more about your practice, what your goals are, and we make sure it's a fit for exactly what you want to do. So that's like the do-it-yourself tools and teaching you how to do that. The second option where we do services, um, I mean, that can escalate pretty good. But you know, the, the programs start at, oh, less than a thousand a month for all the tools um, and training that comes with that. And it can go at, at essentially as high as you, you know, if you have 50 clinics um, as some, some of the practices do, and, you know, we're talking about that, that's a whole other custom setup and all that stuff. But um, yeah, it, it starts less than a thousand dollars a month. Um, when you're in a management phase for marketing, good patient volume since you were struggling with hiring, what is the bare minimum you would recommend doing for marketing? So that's a great question. Uh, what, and I was just on call with uh, Bob Kowalik, literally right before this webinar. And he, he made a really good point. And he said, listen, like 
many of us uh, will have a waiting list. So at three of our offices right now, we have a waiting list. And, you know, we will see, and, and most of us are very altruistic as uh, healthcare providers, right? We got it. We got into healthcare because we wanted to help people. And essentially what Bob said is most of us will treat that waiting list as like a first come first serve. But he said, if you have like a payer on there, who's $40 a visit, let's go extremely low. And somebody who's your average payer, and let's say that's $90 a visit. He was like, you can't just put all the $40. Like it, it doesn't make sense. So a little bit of the, um, like when you're talking about the hiring right now, Jalisa, it like what you want to think about is, is there a way I can improve my payer mix because of the, the pent up demand that I've created? And so Bob's big point was like, number one, don't shut off the marketing, like continue, continue to improve the, the amount of patient demand that exists for your practice. Number two is look at, is there anything that you can do more efficiently? Is it possible to attract a better paying patient? You know, and for example, if you're participating with insurances, some insurances are extremely easy to deal with and others are an absolute headache, right? And he was like, you know, can you eliminate by way of increasing patient demand? Can you eliminate those, the insurance companies that are difficult to deal with um, and likely are limiting visits and everything else? Hopefully that helped you out. If, if you can just let me know there, that'd be great. Um, anonymous attendee, can you share more? This is for you, Tyson, about the importance of measuring effectiveness and how it has helped you invest your marketing dollars. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I can give a, a kind of a, a broad stroke answer and then kind of give a specific answer, but ultimately, the importance of the measurement. So let's, let's say right now you have a certain budget that you have per month. And let's say you're, you want to allocate a thousand dollars in advertising spent per month. And you're going to say, Hey, I, I want to test Facebook. I want to test Google ads. So you just do a 50, 50 split of 500 each um, without the tools. And, and so let's say then you, you have five new patients that come in from that thousand dollars spend. There's $200 per um, $200 per patient without a system that is going to tell you that it, whether they came in from Google, whether they came in for Facebook or how they both led to those five new patients, you'll be left at the end of, let's say that month going like, where do I allocate the money moving forward? So you could just continue to allocate it to both. Let's say in this world that that all five came from Facebook. You could potentially continue to spend five dollars every single month on Google and never get a patient. That's an extreme example because um, likely it would be an even split. So in measuring that, well, then I say, hey, you know, next month I have this thousand dollars spend because I know so much of it's coming from Facebook. Let me allocate eight hundred dollars a month to Facebook and then just two hundred dollars to Google. Or you can say at those margins of two hundred dollars per per patient, my plan of care value is a thousand dollars. You know, this is a 5x return on my ad spend for that $200 patient. Let me actually just double my spend on Facebook because the margins are very good for me. So it can allow you to make those decisions um, and allocate your money separately. Um, and for specific examples, I've had, had ones like that with spend. 
um, where there's there's certain channels that are just working really well um, and, and ones that we just, just straight completely shut off um, because of that. Yep. I'll, uh, I'll add on here for Tyson. So the biggest mistake that I see owners make is um, they treat all levels of awareness, the cost of attraction the same. So a patient who is completely cold, who's not, who has, we'll stick with the shoulder pain example, who's not necessarily looking for a solution. Maybe they think they can just, you know, get better with time or Advil or something over the counter, right? Um, and you're advertising to them on Facebook or, and we'll call that cold traffic unaware, right? On the other end, you have people in your area that already know, like, and trust you because you saw them two years ago for their shoulder pain. Now that is the easiest, least expensive person to convert. You've already paid for the cost of acquisition for that patient. Now they're on your patient list and for next to $0, you can send them an email or you can send them, put something in the mail, right? So to compare cost of acquisition of a past patient, which is one end to completely cold traffic, it, that, that's a fallacy, right? We're, and when we go into new markets in the very beginning, we're willing to pay a lot of, and well over $200 per, per new patient coming in because it's a completely cold market. However, as that clinic matures and, you know, and, and the new clinics that we're opening up, the expectation is within 18 months, we're seeing 200 visits a week. And we've been able to do that. But as that clinic matures and that, that past patient list grows and we're moving people from completely unaware over to more aware, our advertising dollars should get more and more efficient. Um, there was a pretty big study that we did back in 2019 uh, around this. Um, I, I don't, it would be a little awkward to switch out of this and show that, but um, we looked at an established clinic versus um, a, a new clinic, a de novo. And we were able to demonstrate that the established clinic, nearly two thirds. So this was a clinic that was open for 16 years, nearly two thirds of, of those new plans coming through were just simply past patient reactivation. For that new clinic, it was 90% um, new, to only 10% repeat within the first full year. So th that's something else that you wanna think about as you're allotting your marketing dollars. And Tyson had a really good way of putting this, but it was like, cover your foundation. So if you have a patient list, if you're an existing practice owner, like market there first, before you try to, um, you know, hit a home run in Facebook ads. So, question in the chat around Facebook ads. I don't think we got to yet. Yeah, I can. I can read that. You mentioned. So, this is from Kellen. You mentioned Facebook ads. We have run Facebook ads and have had very poor quality candidates. Have email funnels and automated messaging set up. But when we actually got on the phone with people, many people had no idea what they signed up for. Where is the hole in the chain? I can jump in here, fill in, fill in the gaps, chat. Um, if, if you don't mind, Kellen, I kind of, if you could just chat in kind of maybe what some of the ads were like. We, we, we see this a lot when we, when we audit accounts. Um, it's it would depend on what your ads are. So, and I can kind of go through a couple, couple common things that could lead to low quality leads on Facebook. Um, one of the things that we see is like when you're offering just free or like significant discounts a lot. So 
Um, there are some companies that will come in, promise lots of leads, and what they're almost like the Groupon of um, of healthcare in some way. They, they're coming in, they're offering a discount, um, and in Groupon's model, it doesn't even work very well for Groupon, right? So you've got people that come in, they want the free thing, they don't, they, you know. Let me see, free evaluation. For, yeah. So typically, when it and it's a lot on free, um, you have to get really tight with the funnel after free. What we typically do um, is leading with education, um, driving people into um, to a workshop um, where you continue to teach on that um, and teach them about their pain. Uh, and we go through a process from there to, to, to from an initial eval into a patient. And Chad can break that down more. But ultimately what happens is, one, you're, you're sparking people's curiosity and you're educating them when you do that. Um, you build trust and authority with them because now they see you as an expert um, and you provided value. Um, they also get really a personal touch and relationship there with you. Um, so you're able to build rapport. Um, and through that, um, we find really, really good conversion on, on Facebook. Um, if you go with the free, you're, you're typically getting people that want free to people that want free. Um, they, they don't want to pay as much. Um, so you're going to see some funnel drop off. I would also say like on, you mentioned having some of these sort of email drips and these program afterwards. Um, I would just say, if you would go to evaluate like how much of that is, um, goodwill versus like continue to push that free, free, come in for your appointment, come in for your appointment. Um, and so typically you go too much into that other side of free, free, come in your appointment. You just turn people off and they, they jump out of the funnel. Great question, Kellen. Thanks, Tyson. Any other questions? I saw Kellen said, Kellen said, thank you. I saw, um, oh yeah, from Shandon. It looks like Andrea has that. Um, Tyson, thank you. So how about some love for Tyson in the chat? Thanks everyone. Great to be here. Thanks, Chad. We avoided all the dad jokes. Uh, I was kind of hoping we we had at least one, but uh, yeah, thank you very much for being here, Tyson, and uh, sharing your knowledge, wisdom. Very good. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. See you. Thank you, everyone. Remember to visit getbreakthrough.com to access our free resource library designed specifically for private practice growth. While you're there, Make sure you register for a complimentary growth assessment to learn about potential opportunities for growth in your local market. Again, thank you for tuning into the Grow Your Practice podcast and supporting our mission to help people in pain get back to normal naturally.